2: alrighty we left off in 518 now we're in this conversation that Jesus is is having with the Jews and all the bad guys and they are mad at him because he healed on the Sabbath and all the fun starts now so verse 17 he says well God doesn't take a day off work and since I am God (laughs) ergo there's your Latin of the day I do not take a day off either So whatever God's doing is what I'm doing. End of story. Now, verse 18, did your head spin when you saw that one? Right? The Jews tried all the harder to kill him. (laughs) Right? So, I mean, this is relatively early and already at this point. But look at the beginning of verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Question. What is the reason? In fact, there's two.
1: Breaking the Sabbath.
2: Okay, he broke the Sabbath law for healing. And blasphemy. And blasphemy. He called himself God. Right? Verse 18. So right there's the list. That's what they're mad about. So break one, we'll kill you. Break two, we'll kill you twice. Right? So that's just the way it is. So they're they're really stuck on this now. Uh, they they believe they have enough evidence, enough proof. They're trying all the harder now to kill him. But remember, they can't and even on the the night of Monday Thursday, what what the, what these Jews, these Pharisees are doing is waiting for the opportunity to get Jesus alone. Because if they try and arrest him with all the huge crowd that always followed him, and keep in mind, and we'll see this most clearly in, in chapter six, is that not just the twelve are following. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of others who were claiming to be disciples. So the 12 disciples that specifies that on many occasions, that's the 12. But in other occasions, it often refers to a larger group. And remember when we, chapter one, we talked about Philip. All right, we can't find Philip anywhere named as an actual 12 disciple, but he must have been one of the extra you know, the supporting cast or whatever but there's always a large group with Jesus and, the, and the, the Pharisees could never get Jesus alone to arrest him for fear it always says, for fear of the crowd because they know that the crowd will rise up and they'll kill the soldiers, they'll kill the Pharisees they'll kill anybody who tried to take Jesus so they had to wait and that's where Judas comes in that Judas tips them off then because they asked Judas, okay, tell us when when he's going to be alone well, tonight we're going to be all alone <laughs> here's your 30 pieces of silver right? And sure enough he was and then they could have him arrested without any any crowd around so at this point crowd everywhere can't can't do it so he broke the law of the Sabbath and he's basically saying he's God that's that's blasphemy now what John is basically telling us with that verse is that the Jews are already to a point of no longer persecuting Jesus they are now to the point of prosecuting Jesus Right? They're not saying, well, we better get him in there and talk to him and figure out what, what this guy's all about. They have already figured it out. Now we prosecute. And the prosecution is die. Already at this point, they are committed to do that. So Jesus responds to the Pharisees, and in, in that he, he claims, My Father is still working, and I also am working. In other words, I am God, what God does. That's what I do. Get over yourself. So, whatever God has the privilege of doing, Jesus has the privilege of doing. And again, as we follow through, you gotta read all four gospels, but it becomes comical at how many of the Sabbath laws Jesus breaks. He took great joy in that. Knowing that the, the Pharisees had spies always watching him, and he's always, yeah, knowing they're watching him, he said, Well. Watch this, guys! And he's, so he's 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 shucking wheat on the Sabbath. That's work, you know. He's just he's healing people. He's doing anything he can to break these laws right in front of them, and just to watch their reaction. And they go ballistic. So they're just racking up all these charges against him. Now, the Jews, in fact, these Pharisees would inf- would admit. That even God does not take the entire day of the Sabbath off. That God still is present, say, in the unfortunate event that a baby is born on the Sabbath. God is there. That was part of the Jewish understanding of things. That was in writing. And they also understood that you really can't take a day off because the universe would collapse. So God is still at work, you know, holding the universe in place of where it needs to be. So God's they were willing to do it. God still works on the Sabbath, but none of us can. And so that's why Jesus is saying. See, God is still doing these things. I am God, therefore I get to do God stuff. Jesus is claiming the same prerogative to work. Verse 19. Jesus equates his relationship with God much the same way as any of these men that he's speaking to would relate to their sons. Training them in the father's trade. I mean, that was commonplace in that day. What was the trade Jesus had before he started his ministry at age 30? It's a carpenter. Well, gee, who else was a carpenter? His father. His father. See, it just you pass that on so more times than not the the, uh, the the official you know the 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 rabbis would would have a son train them to be a rabbi the priest would, would train their sons to be priests you know just the Pharisees would train their sons to be Pharisees it just that's the way it was and it's still to a great extent is that way today but back then it was very very prevalent so what Jesus is trying to do here is get them to realize that well this is how you relate to your sons so the model I'm showing you is this is the way God relates to me I'm simply doing my father's work right and my father's work is healing so I get to heal on the Sabbath so the son more times than not imitates the father now I, I got to use the example I mean that actually worked, worked for me when I was a little kid uh, my father had polio when he was a kid, and so his one leg was bad, and when he walks, in, he walks with kind of a little gimp and all that. So we have movie film of me as, oh, probably four years old or something. Uh, Dad's out mowing the grass, and I have my little play school lawnmower, and I'm walking behind Dad going like this. You know, I'm gimping I'm, I'm, I'm along with him. Right? So uh, yeah, Children often imitate the parents that's what Jesus is saying so your kids do that to you I am doing that for my heavenly father this should come as no no surprise so as you keep reading this Jesus explains that this relationship with God this imitation of the father actually comes in three different ways Jesus notes that first of all the father loves the son therefore the son loves the world that's how it goes John 3 16 The second reason noted is this love that that Jesus speaks of reaches further in that since Jesus is so loved, Jesus is sovereign over life. Jesus is in control of things because he's imitating the Father. And then thirdly, Jesus is the judge. You come to judge. Remember that? You're not old enough to remember that. You guys aren't either. That was was laughing. Remember? (laughs) Just so funny. Good stuff. Look at him. You can YouTube it, Amy. <laughs> so, verse 22 now. Say, you have to get things in the, the, the right perspective. The Father judges no one. Okay? Then who does? Go back to the previous verse. Jesus judges, right? So if the Father isn't doing it, then somebody's got to do it. So that's Jesus. The Father judges no one, but I do. Now, again, the Jews know that God has control of life. And since God has that power, Jesus is telling them, I have that same power. In other words, I am God. So it's important to remember that both life and judgment are not reserved for some future time. Both begin now. Accepting Jesus now brings life. Rejecting Jesus now brings judgment. Romans 1. (laughs) right? The wrath of God is already on those who reject Jesus. Slight paraphrase. So that begins in the here and now. It's not something in the future, so that, that judgment. And again, the way it's described, the final judgment is simply... Jesus confirming what we have chosen here on earth. It won't be any surprise to anybody. So when you're judged as, you, know, you rejected me here on earth, therefore you don't get to spend eternity with me, there's no surprise to that. Next, and the same thing. Or, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of your master. Look at verse 21. The son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it that's kind of what I was talking about last, last Sunday is yeah, the desire to please God is ultimately important we're going to see that unfold here in these, these next next couple verses that needs to be our foremost desire to please God right so this pleases Jesus and he gives life to those who are seeking to please God so it's all a pleasing process chicken and egg right But to get the the, the pleasure of God, you have to first choose to please God. It starts with us. Now verse 23. Let's get into a big, timely conversation now. Won't this be fun? Do you see the emphasis is upon the name of Jesus? Is that not clear in that verse, in 23 and subsequent verses? Now here's why. And... If you know anything about America in 2016, you will understand what I'm saying. The vast majority of people in Bedford County and around this great nation of ours will content themselves with using the abstract term God. I believe in God. Some nebulous whatever out there somewhere Uh, if you were to press them as to what their understanding of God is they cannot give you any answer (laughs) at all they're just trying to pacify you with using the right term I believe in God that's why the name of Jesus must be specified for salvation simply saying I believe in God is not the qualification for salvation It's too general. It's too abstract. We don't know what you're talking about. You've got to specify that we believe in the name of Jesus. Look what Jesus says. If you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father who sent the Son. So you can't say, I believe in God the Father, but not the Son. Because the Son is the Father. The Father is the Son. You can't separate So the Trinity is not a smorgasbord. You don't get to pick and choose which one you want. You've got to accept all three. Now, this is a critical biblical concept. The name of Jesus. Somebody say something about that. Ask a question, make a comment. Say something definitive that we can't even argue with. Somebody say something.
1: It's the same as Joshua.
2: Yes, the same root in Hebrew, yes. Jesus, Joshua. Yeah. The Hebrew is a really bizarre language. It has no vowels. <laughs> Just one. Yeah, so everything comes out that way. Yeah. Lots of phlegm. Lots of phlegm. A phlegm-based language, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Adam <Anna> Arnold. <laughs> one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> All right, what, what else about the name of Jesus. Tell me how much you believe in that statement. That it must be the name of Jesus. Is that something you believe?
1: It has to be in the name of Jesus because Jesus was the Lamb of God and that's why he was crucified for us. So you have
2: to say Jesus. I am the way, the truth,
1: and the light. That's Jesus speaking, right? Yeah, he's saying no one goes to the Father except...
2: Through, Jesus. Through me, yeah, right. right. So what I'm trying to do is get you 100% convinced that it's the name of Jesus. Because those knuckleheads out there will try to talk you out of it. And if you don't believe that yourself going into the conversation, there's a better than good chance they will talk you out of it. They will water it down. They will get you to say, well, I believe in God. It must be the name of Jesus. We believers must 100% believe that. This is not up for argument, not discussion. It must be that way. Anything else is totally against what, what, what Scripture teaches Go ahead, Gary. What
1: you're saying is when I'm talking to them out there I should not be talking about God or the Lord. I should
2: be talking about Jesus. Be as specific as possible, because they they don't get that. However, I mean, I, I they have the same the Holy Spirit in them.
1: I use the term Lord and God quite a bit, but See, maybe I should be using the word Jesus more. More yes, than
2: I use. Because that that will get them then to ask you the question. Right? Yeah, well what's your understanding of Jesus or yeah, somebody yeah, the, the best thing that can happen in your conversation with non-believers is for them to ask a question. If you're if you're 2 minutes into a conversation and you realize you are the one who are doing all the talking, you've lost in 2 minutes. You might as well just turn and walk away. You have completely turned that person off. You've got to get them to ask the question. About who Jesus is, what that means about my sin. Uh, yeah, ask some really deep question. Not answering the question, well, if God is love, then, then why why do people die? Why do why do children die? Why are there tsunamis? Why why are these natural disasters? Don't get into that endless loop of discussion. That's not the key question. The key question comes back to Jesus. Jesus saves us from our sin. Those two concepts are the only two things you're promoting. And you've got to make sure that person understands that. So yes, absolutely. The term "Lord" to an unbeliever doesn't. Yeah, you know, it's way way too much up for interpretation. Yeah, you know, they don't really understand what that is. They think they do, but it's completely warped, twisted, and maybe only ten percent truth. So by using the name Jesus, and it's it's powerful because that name means God saves. You see, so. That's the understanding. And you're saved from your sin. That's that's the emphasis. So just something quick to say. And so yeah, don't ever say, I believe in God, because then you're just leading them to do, do the same. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my, my my Lord and Savior, perhaps. You could get away with that in that context. Uh, and hopefully then they would ask you, well, what's a Lord? Or, what does it mean to be saved? Or, yeah, you know, but the best strategy is one, maybe two sentences, and then shut up. Right? Seriously, because they want to argue. So exercise your Miranda rights. Everything you say can and will be used against you. Keep it as short and sweet as possible and make them come back with the question. Because you can't, you can't, absolutely, you cannot, in one meeting with a person, Give them all the information they need. Let them ask the question as to where they're at that you can then respond to. Tomorrow you can get to phase two. But you've got to get phase one down. You've got to understand where that person is theologically so that you can address it personally. And that's why I have not issued to you preacher beepers. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Now, with that in mind, are you ready for this? I have... My crash test dummy with me here tonight, his name is Justin Keel, who is a Gideon. And they have a, a it's not a program, but a, a method of transmitting this information in an incredibly effective way. Would you like to come forward? Take the microphone in your hand. I get the microphone You do. You are, I think, in 16 years, the only person I've relinquished really the microphone to well there it is and but yeah hearing this I mean this it's so simple but it's so direct and so easy if you got a piece of paper you might want to write this down or ask Justin to email you
0: this information in a clear and concise way but it's really good okay well and the the other part of this is we just presented this to our youth group about uh, two weeks ago and it's the, there's, there's a book called Share Jesus Without Fear, which Hannah is, is it's like holding up. QPC there. here. Just go, go like this. <laughs> but that's but that's, uh, that's kind of what we, we base our method on. And really, there's five Share Jesus questions. Um, and the idea behind the questions are that you ask the questions and then you stay quiet. You don't interject what your thoughts are, you don't prompt them, you don't correct their answers. You just, let the other person answer. The first question is, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? And then you just stay quiet and let them answer whatever their type of belief is or is not. The second question, after they finish that, you ask the question, to you, who is Jesus Christ? And again, just let them answer who they believe that Jesus Christ is. Um, The third question is, Do you believe that there's a heaven and a hell? Again, the the easy part of this is you don't have to provide any of these answers. You just have to ask the questions and let them talk. The fourth question is, if you died, where would you go and why do you believe that? So, you know, if they have these beliefs, do do they believe there's a heaven and hell? What do they think happens after they die and why? And if you, you know, when you get to question number five is, question number five is, if what you're believing is not true, would you want somebody to tell you? All right, so those five questions are all, and that's what we've we've talked with our our youth, those five questions are all they have to ask. They don't have to say anything else. They know the five questions. And at, at the end of question number five, if they say, no, I don't want anybody to talk to me about this, then you just stop talking. I mean, that's the end of the conversation because... they're. I not want to
2: keep s- talking. But so they're not going to listen anyhow. <laughs> exactly.
0: So if they're not receptive to it, you have planted the seed and you move on. Now, the interesting thing is, um, if you've ever seen one of the little... I'm just doing a little ground. You, if you see, see one of the little Gideon Bibles in the back, if they say yes to question number five, there's a quick cheat sheet on the plan of salvation in the back of it that we've given our youth to, you know... Here's how you go through it if they really want to know. Um, but the great thing is, if you have a smartphone, we have gone high-tech into Gideon's now. Whoa. We have an app for that. So I would encourage you to get the Gideon Bible app. You just go to your app store, search for Gideon. It's free. This is my little sales pitch. Um, little card here if anyone wants yes, Brian's got one of the cards. I've got one of the cards that, that tells you how to get to the app. But in the app, it has not only the full Bible, that you can go to, um, and the plan of salvation that you can share with somebody, and all the helps that are in there, and time of hurt, time of need, time, you know, that you can share with people. That if they need that, it actually um, Gideons distribute the Word of God all over the world. They have about 80 different languages that they have print Bibles for. In the app, they've got 1,166 languages and dialects. That you know, so anybody you come across you can find their language and dialect, and not only will it show them the Word of God in the full Bible, but it will also read it to them in their language or dialect. So, we've tried to make it as simple as possible. Ask the five questions. If they say yes, you can provide them with the plan of salvation. Lovely and fabulous. I didn't even take the whole
2: the I whole know, you're model of efficiency. <laughs>
0: And if, no. you, and if Jeff's really nice, we could probably I, I have a cheat sheet if you want to copy or somebody wants to copy.: We can come? run
2: upstairs and uh, copy that and cut that. Yes. But you yeah. I believe that for the last 50, 75 years, we have made this sharing the essence of God of Jesus with others way too hard. We've, we we thought that we had to be super smart ourselves. That we have to have seminary courses. We have to deal. You know. So we and short of that, that we better not say anything. <laughs> so we had two extremes: people who want to argue the reality of Jesus and never let you, anybody else have a word in edgewise. Just sit there, and listen to me talk for three hours, and I will convince you because I'm so smart. And most of the rest of everybody else, I don't know that much. Therefore, I better not say anything. And we haven't and that's why we are where we are in this country today. So my point is, it's not difficult. It's that simple. And the basic concept is, shut up. (laughs) Can you bite your your lip? For some of us, that's pretty difficult, (laughs) right? So you you have to train yourself, discipline yourself to not say say it the best strategy is questions you ask the question or you wait for that other person to ask you a question but when you go charging in saying yeah i got this people just shut down immediately and yeah i mean out there is just it's way different than was when any of us were kids it's hugely different so there's a spiritual hunger but it is of such a nature that they don't even know what, what what questions to ask. That's why I love this because that gives you the questions that need to be asked. Straightforward, out of my love for you, let me ask you this. And go from there. And to question one, they tell you, if I don't want to talk about it, then don't talk about it. Don't walk away. Because that's rude and they would look at you and say, well, that person because I didn't I didn't want to talk about the thing he or she wanted to talk about then this person's a jerk so then you make all Christians look like jerks and I don't like that so don't throw me in the jerk pool with others so stay there and continue a relationship with that person you drop the question it might take them a day a week a month a year but that question is going to keep staying inside and the Holy Spirit's going to keep working with that person and, and, and yeah, a year later that person might call you up and say I've really been thinking about that question you asked me a year ago you, know, can you meet, meet me in Hebrews for a cup of coffee and at that point you better be jumping through the phone <laughs> right but that's how it works see for some reason in America we, we are firm believers in immediate gratification if we don't get it immediately we become very disappointed and frustrated and the Christian faith cannot be that. Your job is to plant some seeds, scatter seeds. Just start throwing them around. Just start asking those. Yeah, you know, start with the first question. See what kind of response you get. Will everybody respond well to it? No. Maybe twenty percent. Maybe thirty percent. I don't know if Gideon's have any statistics on that, but uh, um, I would think it would be a relatively low success rate with even the first question. is better than zero in terms of the kingdom of God. And that's our job. That's our only job. Go and make disciples. That's how you make disciples. You enter into a conversation and a relationship with somebody else without beating them over the head about it. Simply, let me reveal Christ to you. Come and see. See what we got. What are thoughts do you have about the need, the necessity of Jesus and nothing else? I'm not sure I have you absolutely convinced of this yet. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Got to be. Verse 24, let's further the concept. Jesus says that we must believe my words. Not the words of some nebulous God that you have no idea even who you're talking about. Because you see, this is about the relationship we have. The personal relationship you have with, we can use the term here, with God through Christ. We all understand that. But what this other person is saying is, I believe in God. My follow-up question would be, well, what's that relationship like? To your question. That's it. See that person, no, right? But then, hopefully they'll ask a question. Well, I don't know what to say. What, what's a good answer to that? Oh, okay. Well, this is what a relationship looks like. Looks just like the best relationship you can have here on earth. Only better. Right? Love and trust and you know, all those kind of things. So it's not the words of something out there. These are words of somebody that I know and I trust. His name is Jesus. Now, what you're going to find a lot out there is. People believing in, well, I, since I believe in this nebulous God, I also believe in some words of Buddha, some words of Krishna, some words of Muhammad, some words of this, some words of that. And if I hug a tree once a week and put a rock around my neck, I'm good to go because I have all my bases covered because I don't understand who God is. God is all of them. Since all, since, you know, the the common belief out there is that all religions are valid.
1: You've heard people say they're spiritual. Oh,
2: yes, things. yeah, I'm spiritual. spiritual yeah. Yes. We're, God. we're all
1: different
2: yes. ways to God. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're all, they're, all those names are ways to God. Yes, that's very common these days. And that's what's out there. Reagan, what were you going to say?
1: Then why?
2: Because that's what Jesus said to do. We understand that. We understand the relationship of the Trinity.
1: Okay. Oh, so if you understand that, you're okay. Okay.
2: And that's why in the plan of salvation, they don't get you to say the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Right? The plan of salvation is I am a sinner. I'm broken. And only Jesus can fix me. Right? Day two, we can do the Lord's Prayer. But not day one because you don't understand it. So what's
1: your saying? That are not believers, they had to see the vigil, saying like him die on the cross, and all like okay. All right. Start
2: there with Jesus, and then you expand it. You'll you'll blow their mind if you start talking about the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's like what? Yeah. yeah, because they cannot comprehend. As we see the Samaritan woman at the well, as we see in Nicodemus, as we're soon to see in chapter six, these these Galileans, um, they they want to stick in the the material and the physical. They can't get beyond that immediately and that's the toughest thing to bridge is to get them to the spiritual let get them understand that it's jesus he talks to them about the, the bread of life well give me that bread i don't want to go to the store anymore you know living water give me that water i'm tired of coming to this stupid well right that's the that people will naturally go there day one and i I think that's that's much of what jesus says in you know one one of his teaching is don't cast your pearls before the swine now don't give something of value to someone who can't comprehend it who can't appreciate who can't you know you you don't give something holy to somebody who's going to treat it in an unholy fashion so for us that
1: have already accepted jesus we can pray to our Father and
2: say, Father, yep. okay, the, well, okay, I got it. Because yep. I'm thinking, now I'm praying. I got it. I got it. I got it. Got it. First time for everything. Oh, I got it. But you understand what I'm saying? So you don't, you don't give what is not appropriate for that individual. That's why you have to ask a lot of questions, right? Who are you? What is your need? What is your understanding of this relationship with Jesus? So if it's entirely wrong, then you know where to go from there. But you have to ask the question. You can't assume any level of understanding. They might have gone to seminary. <laughs> right? You don't know that. you got to ask the question. So you only give to what is... The term we would use today is age-appropriate, which I'm still trying to figure out. I don't know. I I, I, I haven't seen, seen you... Uh, Clayton, you, 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 you don't this with, with, uh, uh, with, with Carly yet, but I'm I still trying to figure out why parents are handing nine-month-old and one-year-olds and even two-year-olds their cell phones. Because the kid shoves it in the mouth. And, you know, it's, why would you do That's not an age-appropriate toy for a child to be playing with. <laughs> it's going to slobber all over it. And it's going to blow up and you're going to be out on the phone. It's not, it's not, it's not appropriate for a child. But same as you would get you give them a knife. right? So you don't do that Later on, you're ready for that. but at this point you are literally a babe in Christ. So don't go to the advanced level until you get the foundation set to get the basics. The, the primer course has to be accomplished first. So yes, in that conversation then you know, let the person talk and they will reveal their understanding of you know, God. And more likely, they'll start bringing in. Well, you know, those Buddhists—they got some pretty good stuff. And you know, the the Muslims are not all bad. I've read—I've read about them, and you know, they got some—they got some pretty good stuff. And you know, I've incorporated that into my life. And and then—and then they will tell you. But I'm a good person. Every one of them will tell you he's—they're a good person. Any funeral I have ever been at where you allow people to stand up and speak at the funeral which by the way is not my policy because people are terrible at that they know how to get started they don't know how to get out (laughs) and it becomes embarrassing for everybody so but everybody who stands up and speaks universally says the deceased was a good man or she was a a good woman as if to justify this person's existence before God goodness has nothing to do with it you see so goodness is a way of, of sidestepping and avoiding sin. Avoiding that term. So once a person says that, then let them talk for a bit and then somehow steer that back to sin. But what about sin? Well, I'm a good person. Meaning I haven't killed anybody. I don't rob, rape, and, and plunder and pillage. Um, you know, I don't beat my wife. Um, you know, all the bad things I'm not a, not, not, not a pedophile I'm not this I'm not that then which question question three well what about Jesus what would Jesus have to say about that right hear it back you see but it just it just follows the logical pattern but you have to give the person time to speak that, that they can hear themselves say what they're really trying to say and you certainly need to hear it as well By the time we get down to verse 31, Jesus explains that everyone understands that if he is the only person making a claim, then it means nothing. There must be a second witness to corroborate what the first person says. Now, that's the way it is in the court system. It has always been that way. It was that way in Jesus' day. But if you recall at his crazy trial in the middle of the night... They had several people scheduled to speak against Jesus. I saw him do this. But you've got to get a second person to come and verify the first guy's story. And that completely fell apart. The second guy told a different story. (laughs) It's like, we paid you to tell this story. Tell this story. So they couldn't get two people to agree. Out of frustration, they finally just look at Jesus and say, "Are, Are you the Christ? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you just ask in the first place? <laughs> and then that's when they tore, you know, rent asunder their, their their garments and you know, and start beating them and all kinds of other things and uh, blasphemy and and all all that jazz. Um. So you've got to have the second witness. Jesus is saying, "I know that. I know you know I know that. Therefore, let me show you." my corroborating evidence because if I'm asking you just to believe my words eh no one's going to do that really unless there is some corroboration Jesus quote uses other testimony now who could the other testimony be actually if you read carefully there are, in fact, five corroborating testimonies about Jesus listed in this passage. They are, for them are people, one is an object. You want to take some wild guesses as to who Jesus is talking about? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Look at verse 32. Who's he talking about there? Take a while, I guess. Go ahead. Spin it out, Clayton. Well,
1: I was in the Holy Spirit
2: right now. Bingo. Okay. Right? So verse 32 is the Holy Spirit. Verses 33 and 35 is John the Baptist. Okay? Look at verse 36. Who's the witness here? I Jesus Himself. So I I am a testimony verifying myself. (laughs) Only Jesus could do that and get away with it, but hey, (laughs) throw it on the list, right? So that's in verse 36. Uh, Verses 39 to 40. What? Not who? What is the verification of Jesus? Scripture Scripture itself. Okay, the scriptures verify. And then verses forty-six to forty-seven. Who's the witness there? Moses. 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 Let my people go, right? So, not one, not two, but five verifiers of this truth. That sounds like a slam dunk to me. In any court of law, that would be, if you've got five people to stand up saying the same thing, any jury in the land would, would convict that person. Now, Jesus points out in verse 34 that it is important to have human testimony verify what God is doing. So the Holy Spirit is a witness. Scripture is a witness. But so is John the Baptist and Moses. Right? And remember how highly esteemed the Jews hold Moses. Right? That was a good choice. (laughs) Right? Not just your, your random Old Testament guy, but Moses, right? Like, super, super important guy. Now, from verses 31 to 40, Jesus does something really incredible. Now, remember, what the Jews are doing here is, pros- is prosecuting Jesus, they are, they are listing his crimes. Verses 31 to 40, Jesus turns the tables on them. And turns a prosecution around and now attacks his accusers. Jesus reveals that if they miss the obvious work of God in their midst, if they've dismissed God's prophet John the Baptist, if they don't see the signs revealed in their own scriptures that they claim to protect, there's something really wrong with you people. <laughs> right? That's what he's saying. The problem isn't me. The problem is you guys. Because the witness, the testimony before you, you cannot refute. And again, you know, how many people saw Jesus, witnessed Jesus, and still did not believe? Next chapter, many of those disciples, it says, Got frustrated and walked away from Jesus. Well,
1: if they didn't believe in Jesus, why would they believe in the Holy Spirit? Well, what, what, what would that happen?
2: Right, been? that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So you believe in Jesus, then, then we get to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. So they can't get past Jesus, and that's why they they fall by the wayside. In the the parable of the sower, three out of four don't make it. Something else comes along and just totally makes them lose their minds those are the odds that all of us have so if it worked for Jesus you know you and I can't expect to do anything better than that right so that's what I'm saying don't get frustrated if you know you 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 do a really good job at, at, at sharing sharing the gospel sh- sharing Christ with others and you go week after week after week and share it with hundred people and you, you get no results at all don't get frustrated with that because there's no guarantees in this business at all but you try to do the best job you can and what, what you know, I wanted Justin to share because I, I think this is the best way to do it. Makes perfect sense because it gets the other person talking rather than you trying to say the exact right words at the exact right time and it never works that way. Your job isn't to convince anybody of anything. Go ahead Gary. So don't
1: worry about how low your batting average is.
2: That's right. <laughs> don't worry, be happy. Yep. Your batting average is point zero zero one one one. Yeah, that's, you've you've done it at least. Just get up, get up to the plate, and swing the bat. Eventually, you're going to hit the ball. <laughs> yeah, blind squirrel, right? <laughs> so, what Jesus is accusing the Pharisees of is that they 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 love the religious life. They don't love God. Jesus is saying that to, to possess the scriptures and yet still not know God places a person, a nation, a whole world in a most precarious situation. These are people who say, we understand the scriptures 100%. Jesus is saying, really? Then you're living completely wrong. You don't know how to <coughs> represent God to others. Therefore, you are leading others away from God. You're a brood of vipers. You're whitewashed tombs. Verse 39. Keep in mind all this that Jesus is saying is to the healed paraplegic. Jesus tells this guy that although he has the scriptures that reveal exactly what the Messiah will do, quote, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. See again, Jesus. Not the nebulous God, to Jesus. Now I have to understand the language. The you, he's speaking to one person, but the you he uses is plural. So he's saying you, yes, former paraplegic guy, but all the rest of the nation of Israel refuse to come to me to have life. Now, some did. He's speaking in generalities here, but the nation as a whole, once all said and done, certainly rejected Jesus, right? So Jesus is telling this guy, now you've got to get this right. Otherwise, remember what he said? Something way worse is going to happen to you. You're going to be separated from me for all eternity. Jesus, in fact, says, quote, you do not accept me. Verse forty-five, Jesus says that Moses, your accuser, is Moses. Why does Jesus say that the accuser is Moses?
1: So they hold Moses in high regards. Because, um, well, he, that being the
2: they talk about being with the, with the Torah and with the right okay.
1: culture, he's considered one of the one of the fathers of their.
2: Church. So he's the lawgiver. Right, we follow the law. So Moses as the accuser means that you're not really following the law. <laughs> right? I get the, the the air of religiosity as compared to the heart of faith. You're not really following the law. You say you're maintaining it but you're not because you've created all this other stuff that distracts people from what God really initially intended. So tearing off toilet paper on the Sabbath is no major sin. It's not any type of sin. Have at it. No biggie. Verse 46. In one sense, Jesus is saying that the people believe in Moses and thus follow the law, but in another sense, Jesus is saying that the people say that they believe in the law, but they really don't follow it because they really did believe in Moses. They would believe in Jesus because Moses actually wrote about the Messiah. You say you're following Moses 100%. Well then, you should realize who I am. That's what Jesus is saying. So in the final analysis, the Pharisees try to put Jesus and the healed man on trial. When in fact, what Jesus turns it around to be, Jesus puts the whole world on trial. What all this means is simply that Jesus is God. Jesus has the full authority of the Father. This chapter demonstrates that Jesus has authority over the Sabbath and over eternal life. In other words, believe in Jesus. And then all this other stuff will fall into place for you. Not some random god out there somewhere, undefined, non-specific Specifically the name of Jesus. The last verse there. But since you do not believe what he wrote. Moses. How are you going to believe what I say? See you're, you're stuck in this falsehood. So when the truth comes to you. You're not going not gonna to recognize it. You're not going to accept it. not going to believe it. And there goes chapter five. Another big chapter. What thoughts, questions, comments do you have in chapter five? I
1: like I like verse 46 and 47. He really hit him right between the eyes there and said, If you believe in Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote about me. He um, just basically hit on me. Right, right because that's
2: that's that's where they live. <laughs> yeah. Right? But you see, that's what Jesus does. But you see what Jesus is doing is let them speak first. And that's what I'm saying tonight. Let the other person speak first and reveal where they're coming from. People have no problem tell you, telling you what they believe. You can't stop them.
1: So they're going on Babylon about Moses and all of a sudden he turns around
2: and says, do you believe Moses? Do you think Moses was all that in a bag of chips? Well, He told you I was coming. <laughs> right? So why don't you recognize it? But again, you know, in, after that much time, the Pharisees had established such a system of control over the people and power that they anything that, that contested that. Now, with what you just said there, which was genius too, by the way, hearken back to Nicodemus. Remember what Nicodemus said. A Pharisee. We know who you are. Mm-hmm. Right? right yeah. So this is... Yeah, wanting to kill Jesus is a deliberate plot to thwart the plan of God. They know they're doing it. And yet they still continue on this. Because it, 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 it impacts their power.
1: They like their cushy job. And- <laughs>
2: yep. And I mean, you still you can find that in in churches, not in our church, but there are churches that, uh, especially smaller churches, where you know a person has held a position of power in a church for 40 years, you know, treasurer, you know, head of the board, or you know, something. And because there's no one really to replace them, and nobody wants to, and just let 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 Gary do it. So, and Gary's more than willing to do it. But if you try if you try and take Gary's power away from him. Oh, baby. Then, you know, it's the end of the world type of thing. And we, we've seen it in churches that, that, that have gone with the, the, the streamlined administrative process like we have here. When they try and institute that in some of these churches, people who, and it's the perfect opportunity for the pastor to get rid of an ineffective guy that doesn't realize he's ineffective and is actually dragging the whole church down, Now's the opportunity to do that and when that person loses their power they just go ballistic I mean they just just you know start you know picketing and everything else I mean it just it's, it's it's embarrassing so when you try and take somebody's power away from them man, they they, they go bananas and that's the way these Pharisees are you're you're, you're 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 trying to you know the people love you more than they love me or I'll fix you or I'll kill you then they'll have to love me pretty sick but that's how sociopaths work <laughs> Right, and here you have a whole group of them of like mind. We know who you are, Jesus, and we're going to fight you every step of the way.
1: Wow! Yes, we all have a tendency, Pharisees, and sure, the like to uh, see what we want to see, hear what we want to see. Uh, Schweitzer says that Jesus at the bottom of the well looks a lot like us. So we have a tendency to just, you know. We prejudiced. We are. That's who we are. We are caught in that human dilemma.
2: And that's that's what John describes in the very first chapter about the, the light and the darkness. Remember that conversation? You know, we're born in the darkness, we prefer the darkness. You know, we our natural tendency is to actually when the light comes to us is shy away from it, is find more darkness. So that's 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 what the original sin does to us. But, Jesus is the remedy to that. And that can happen in the place of night.
1: But Jesus, or our concept, or my concept, or your concept, or whoever's concept, can be distorted by this tendency sure. to have. And over and over again, we read into eisegete the text rather than exegete the text very hard, and in my opinion, impossible. As Kierkegaard said, the only one that can save us is the giver, which he thinks using your term, God, and it was the only one that can help us. Paul says the same thing. Who will save me from this dilemma mm-hmm.
2: Jesus Christ? And, and that's why the biblical concepts of submission, humility, really come into place. Because we realize... How incredibly difficult this is, but submitting to Christ now makes up all the difference. But if we think that we have to take control of it ourselves until we achieve whatever we think we have to achieve, is twisting the whole thing. Just, just give up, <laughs> right? Just let, let, let Jesus do it for you. You know, as we celebrate the sacramental communion, that's really what we're saying. It's already done. There's nothing more you need to do. Just, just accept it. So. So if you want a copy of those five questions, I will leave immediately. I'll drop the mic and, and, and run run quickly and, and crank a couple copies out of the printer upstairs, and I will run them back down to you. So if you can stick around for 30 seconds, um, I will do that and get those back to you so you will have those quickly because just over, over the Christmas break here, there's a good chance in whatever function you are at, you're going to run across somebody and enter into exactly the conversation that we have talked about here tonight. So... I uh, hope you're eyeing up the pizza. It's well fermented now. It's even better than it was when it was originally delivered. So, five bucks is the pizza of the day.